Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burger Master. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burger Master is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burger Master on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the hundred and that's life. It's one oh seven, buddy. One oh seven. We're you're on it. You're on a two game losing streak. Oh, a two show losing streak already. It's true. It's true. Welcome to the hundred and seventh episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian M. Hauser, at Hawk Blogger on Twitter. Uh, your host for the this evening, along with my co-hosts. Mr. Evan Hill, who you just heard at Evan and SEA. Welcome in, Evan. Thank you, sir. Week four is on deck, and I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then we'll go over to Dana O'Gorman. Um, you know, not wearing her scrubs. Reminded us in the post-game show, she is wearing genuine real Hawk Talk gear. That is the real stuff. I will tell you, I have both a t-shirt and a sweatshirt, and... They're very nice. I, I've really enjoyed those. Evan, I think you've got some gear. So, so Dana, welcome to the show at Dana OG on Twitter. How does it feel? How comfortable is it? You're on oh, mute. You're on mute. <laughs> I was saying, I'm trying to figure that out. I'm so sorry. No, it's super soft. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super soft and really comfortable, and and um, it's really like thick, so it's good quality. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty impressed with your choices, Brian. <laughs> uh, you know, this is all Evan and I think Will, oh. wasn't it? There you go. Uh, 99% William. I just yeah. created an account online. <laughs> yeah. Thank no, you, Will. Will's got good taste in this kind of stuff. He's a little bit of our uh, our graphic design expert. So he actually even designed our logo here and these backdrops. So um, very talented dude. Uh Last but never least, uh, our our Canadian brother from another presidential mother, um, Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons. You notice that the Canadian did not interrupt me 
at any point. Uh, a little bit different etiquette up there in Canada. Good to have you, dude. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stay out of the politics debate tonight, but uh, <laughs> I'll leave that for you that. guys. Um, yeah, but I, I have also ordered some real Hawk Talk gear. Um, so it does ship to Canada for anyone who's listening from Canada. So I'm going to get my, I got an email today saying it's going to arrive tomorrow. So whenever our next show is, I'll get to see if I agree with Dana, but I got two sweaters coming and our winters are starting here, which Evan's going to make fun of me about for the next seven months. I and- cannot wait. I cannot wait. I'm going to be sending you pictures of my pool with the 75 degree, uh, you know, sunset in November. I can't wait. Uh, I was I visited my parents <laughs> the other day and they shut down their pool for the summer for the summer. So seeing your pool while stuff's about to get terrible out here is going to at least we have the Seahawks to keep me going. Hey, I got actually I got a question for you, Jeff. What are, what are shipping times like if you if you have to, if you buy a product in America? How long does it take to get to Canada? It's, it really depends on like how big the company is, and it's not long. Like it's usually oh. five to seven business days. Okay. Like Toronto gets shipped to Toronto's probably the biggest city in Canada, so so much stuff gets shipped to. It's so common. Speaking of things taking long to ship, I, I don't know if we have this for real hawk talk. It'd be nice to have. We need a map. That would be cool. Right. But I ordered this on, uh, on NFL shop like in August and it was supposed to be delivered mid October. It just came today. Massive mask, but, uh, I am happy to have a Seahawks mask. I feel like that's, that's a, a new fashion, uh, requirement. And based on some of the studies I've heard coming out recently that, that because of it, COVID being airborne, that actually people wear glasses are less likely to catch it. Um, I'm interested to see when, uh, you know, there starts to be a fashion statement with fake glasses. So, uh, we might have all sorts of random, weird, real Hawk talk gear by the end of the year to keep you not only looking good, but keep you safe. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to figure that out. All right. So we've got an undefeated Seahawks team three, no, uh, pretty good, pretty happy about that. And I think at least by my estimation, I think they've had three reasonably challenging opponents um you know varying levels of skill but i can't think that you'd say any one of those were gimme games even the atlanta game and atlanta's 0-3 atlanta should have beat the snot out of the cowboys um they they blew that but they certainly were were strong there they should have beat the bears um (laughs) the only team you could say they should not have beaten was the seahawks who handled them readily but then you got New, new england who's played well and you've got Dallas. Um, so I think the Seahawks have started off pretty strong. We all, we all know their strengths and their weaknesses. Um, but one of the things that I think has a lot of folks attention is the injuries right now. And so one of the things I want to start with is, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the injury report for today. Did you guys see the it's Seahawks injury report? 20 miles long. I was going to say like, cause if you saw it, you probably had to see it by about noon in order to finish reading it by now. It was long. Um, Anything on that injury report, Dana, that caught your eye, either good or bad? No, no, I think it was for a Wednesday. Wednesday reports don't phase me. I, I think that they just, you know, we have so many resting and beat up. And I think that he this year, they're just giving a lot more the vets the day off either Wednesday or Thursday. It doesn't really seem to be rhyme or reason. It depends on kind of the player. Um, the couple of things, though, that I read about injuries this week, I think that 
it doesn't sound likely that Jamal Adams will play this weekend. They keep saying he's real sore still that he, um, you know, that they're doing huge amounts of therapy, but who knows? Um, but the good news in my mind was that Chris Carson did a full walkthrough today. And so that is really great to hear. Um, and so hopefully it sounds like he might have a chance to play this weekend, which, which was real excited. And then there's a few others, you know, Jamie and Lewis, they gave a little updates on stuff like that. But I think that for most Seahawks fans, those two, now us, we might see it a little differently on who's most important on that list. But I think for most Seahawks fans, the Jamal Adams update and the Chris Carson update were real important. Can I, can I just take a second to say like in the post game show on Sunday, we were all really nervous rightfully so about four key injuries. Um, I just want to take a moment to say, I feel like we got super lucky with all four injuries, like especially the Chris Carson one, which was obviously uh, extremely malicious and intent. And it's shocking that the dude is not getting a suspension. I, it sounds like he's going to get fined. I'm not sure what's come with that yet, but uh, Jordan Brooks sounds like he might be the most injured out of those four. Is that right? Yeah. Um, Jamal Adams is day to day, which is obviously a big one, but Chris Carson, you know, potentially even playing this weekend, just a heavy sigh of relief. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, are we all, so, so let's just go over that really quickly. Cause last week, last we saw folks was, was Sunday right after the game. We were getting just post game reports, Jeff. And we were talking about Jamal Adams, Damian Lewis, the, you know, the rookie guard, um, Jordan Brooks, the rookie linebacker. Uh, we were talking about, um, uh, did I already say Jamal? So Jamal yeah. Adams, Damian Lewis, Jordan Brooks, and Chris Carson were the primaries that we were talking about. And Lewis, just a normal ankle, not a high ankle. So, um, you know, I think it's likely he could play this week um, and not a huge risk to play as an offensive lineman with a, an ankle sprain. Um, you've got Chris Carson, who has a knee sprain, and they were saying might miss a couple of weeks, but he was limited today, as Dana was talking about. So he's already actually getting some activity. Jamal Adams has not practiced yet. Groin, you know, Pete has, in Pete terms, said, hey, that's – he's pretty sore still, you know, he's, he's saying the whole thing of, Hey, you know, it's going to be tough for him to get back, but never say never that kind of thing. And then, um, and then uh, Brooks who, yeah, knee sprain looks like a few weeks. So yeah, to, to Evan's point, seems like we got off in pretty good shape. Tell me like, do you want guys like Chris Carson and Jamal Adams to play this week? Or is part of you just like, uh, just let him, let him rest. That's, that's totally where I'm at. Um, one thing I know, I don't want to look past any opponent, but the Seahawks schedule kind of sets up really well in that regard. They have Miami, who's kind of a young rebuilding team. I know that's, it's not an easy game. They play really hard, but Miami, Minnesota, and then the bye, and then they have a bunch of division games coming up. So my goal, if I'm the Seahawks, is I want to try to be as healthy as I can for those division. There's like a big run of Rams, Cardinals, 49ers, right in the middle of their schedule before the easy part. So like going through a couple of them, like if you can just rest Chris Carson a week or two and like maybe against a team like Miami where you're going to throw a lot, Chris having Carlos Hyde played one game, I'm fine with that. Damian Lewis, Jordan Simmons has graded out really, really well. And if I'd rather sit him one week so he could be healthier down the stretch than kind of force him back a week early. Jamal Adams, the way groin injuries work is the toughest thing about them is 
you can't really do anything to heal. Like it's just a sitting and waiting thing. And I know when I covered hockey, there was a lot, there's a lot of groin injuries in hockey, especially with goalies. Um, the, the hardest part for that is it's just, there's no rehab. It's just waiting. It's a lot of time just waiting for recovery. And so if he can say Jamal can push and fight all he wants, it's pretty hard. So again, I, I would not play him under any circumstances this week. And the fact that they're making moves at safety indicates that that's probably the case. And then the last one, Brooks is kind of ruled out. He's not going on IR, but you got you got Barden, you got Shaquem Griffin. Like, I would kind of take it easy and be cautious on all four because I want those guys healthy for those division games. It's true because it's a long season. You can't – yes, we look from one game to the next game, but you have to think long-term. And that is the one nice thing about having that early buy is that everyone then will get a rest. But I, I think, Jeff, you're absolutely right. You have to you have to think a little more long-term than just this week. I'll just add in one extra piece on that. I completely agree with you guys. But this team is super – although they have some high-level, you know, sort of star talent at those positions like Jamal Adams, uh, I guess you could call Chris Ar- Carson a, a, a star talent at running back, frankly. Um, they're thin beyond those players. So you do not want to – like imagine Jamal Adams comes back this week. He rushes to play back. He tweaks his groin a little bit further, and then he's out six to seven weeks. Are you comfortable with Quandre Diggs and Delano Hill for the next six to seven weeks? I'm sure as hell not. So I I think taking the conservative approach is absolutely the correct move here. I mean, I'm comfortable with them against Miami. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's true. uh, Evan. I mean, just think we might give up like 500 yards if that happened and maybe we'd give up like 30 points or, or something like that would be terrible. Wouldn't it? I I'm just saying Matt Schaub threw for 450 yards on this better defense last year. So I, we could talk about this later, but I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to have a day against us. We will talk about it for sure. We'll talk about it for sure. Before we, before we look ahead, I do want to spend a couple more seconds on looking back. So another thing that happened since a couple other things have happened since uh, we last spoke. So PFF grades came out for the game and there were a couple of things that were interesting. We don't always talk about PFF grades in this, on this show, but um, one uh, Shaquem Griffin was the number one rated defender for the Seahawks. Small amount of snaps, like 17 snaps, but he was an 86 grade. He was a 90 elite grade from a coverage standpoint um, in his snaps. And he also showed a little bit on pass rush. Um, We had uh, Ryan Neal actually score in more snaps, like 26 or 27 snaps at safety as like, I think like in the eighties, I'll have to pull it up, but um, had a strong performance um, and you know, obviously that pick at the end helps, but, but, uh, I think that's pretty positive. Um, we had <laughs> Shaquille Griffin was not that bad. By the way, Ryan Neal was 81, um, uh, was his grade. Uh, oh, before I get to Shaquille Griffin, Ugo Amadi, Ugo Amadi, who we all talked about having a great game, finally had a solid PFF grade, 77.3, 78.7 in coverage, 82.3 tackling. And just as a refresher for folks, generally the way PFF grades go, you know, above 60, 60 to 70 is like, okay, you're a starter. Above 70, sorry, 60 to 70 is generally like a rotational backup. 70 to 80 is like a solid starter. 80 to 90 is a pro bowler. 
90 and above is all pro elite, some of the best at their position, right? So that just gives you some some context. But yeah, so Ugo did well. Shaquille Griffin is what I was going to get to next. We all were pretty upset with his performance. I mean, other than the interception he had, he had a decent grade, 68.1. Um, so that was a little bit surprising. Trey Flowers did not have a decent grade. He had what we expected. He was down at 38.8. I mean, oh, it was man. bad. Have you seen a worse grade than that from the Seahawks? Anyone? Well, there were two that had worse grades in this game on the really? defensive side. Demontre Moore, for some reason. I don't know why. It's hard to understand on some of these because hmm. the rest of – every grade that they show for run defense, pass rushers, and coverage, Demontre Moore was like 50 or 60. But for some reason, he was a 34.5. Maybe he had two penalties. Maybe that was it. Maybe. Maybe. Penalties, maybe. And then Jordan Brooks. This is, this is the thing that – the last thing I just wanted to bring up. And if any of you guys have a riff on any of these, feel free or we can keep going. But – Jordan Brooks didn't play a lot, 14 snaps, but his grade was 29.1. Oh, geez. So let's hope that that was just a bad start, but that's not a good first impression, right? (laughs) Not at all. That's understating it a little bit, but yes. Yes. (laughs) I think there was one other one that you didn't mention there and someone I kind of want to talk about quickly. Uh, Mike Upati. I believe he was, I I believe Brian tweeted this. He was what, 85 or 86 this week? His highest grade with the Seahawks. He was an 85. And so for those people who are kind of newer, newer football fans, I think a lot of people forget who Mike Upati is and who he was. Because when the Seahawks got him last year, it kind of felt like a broken piece that always got injured, kind of a washed up player. But when like Pete Carroll first came and Jim Harbaugh on the rivalry with them, Mike Upati was like the franchise player on their offensive line. He was what kind of what Quinn and Nelson is now. He was the best guard in the league for a long time. And through three games, he's kind of played like that. Not that good, but he's played like a like he did not look like this last year and the last couple of years in Arizona where he was like broken and injured. And maybe that happens later, but if they can get him playing at a like high starter caliber lever, that is a because when he, even when he got brought back, we're like, oh, what is he doing? He's blocking the young guys. That is a stunning transformation for me. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good call, Jeff. Uh, and we'll mm-hmm. talk. I do want to talk offensive line a little bit later. Um, but yeah, he he had a strong game. Interestingly, like Jordan Simmons and Jamarco Jones, who I thought played reasonably well, did not get graded very well. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, and, and by the way, and Dwayne Brown, who we all thought did not do that well, had a decent grade. And so I think one of the things I do give PFF credit for is they're watching every single snap. We tend to right. notice players when they do something or don't do something, right? But not when they're just doing their job, especially as an offensive lineman. So Alden Smith had three sacks. He didn't grade very well. Um, so I think a lot of the plays that weren't those three sacks, he might not have been doing well. And in fact, one of those plays, the game winner that you tweeted out, Jeff, showing Brandon Shell, I think it was, yeah. just totally stonewalling Alden Smith for like five or six seconds, right? So yeah. anyway, that was one thing that happened worth uh, just raising for folks. Um, other thing, Russell Wilson wins his second Player of the Week award, uh, Offensive Player of the Week in the NFC out of three weeks. Should be three for three. Um, let's spend a second on this, just MVP race and where we are with Russell. Aaron Rodgers is having a hell of a year. The the Packers are the only offense that are scoring more than the Seahawks. Patrick Mahomes, 
obviously is incredibly talented, had a great game on Monday night. You got Lamar Jackson. How are you guys feeling about Russell, like Russell's chances at sustaining this and potentially winning his first MVP? Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I I think that, okay, so let's just all admit that after the first game, you boys were all jacked up because he'd thrown the ball so much. And then you're like, oh, but they'll go back. You are all so pessimistic. They'll go back to running the ball. And now, you know, three games in, they haven't. They still are letting him throw the ball. They're still letting him be who he wants to be. I, I think we've talked about this in chat, but I agree that this just might be who he is this year. This might be his year. And I don't just say that because I'm a fan, because you guys know I like defense over offense, so I rarely give quarterbacks credit for too much, but which drives people crazy, I know. But um, but it's not just from Seahawks fans you're hearing that. You're hearing that from everyone. You're hearing that Russell Wilson, this is his year. This is his prime. He looks fantastic. You know, he looks the Tom Brady of this year, the Aaron Rodgers of this year. And yes, I know Aaron Rodgers is playing very well, but at the same time, this just has a different feeling to it. I, I don't know what it is this year. I think as long as he doesn't get injured, knock on every piece of wood you can find, then I think that this could be his year. Yeah, uh, the the optics of starting fast for the MVP race are absolutely critical. And mm-hmm. it's something that I feel like has sort of set Russ behind in previous years is this team and him always seem to pick it up as the year goes on for whatever reason. But I'm just looking at this chart I put together this past week. I don't know if you guys, Dana, I know you saw an opportunity to see it. Mm -hmm. Russell Wilson leads the league in passing touchdowns at 14. Josh Allen is the next closest at 10. Russell Wilson leads the league in passing touchdown percentage at nearly 14%. The next closest is Josh Allen at 8.8%. Uh, Russell Wilson leads the league in adjusted net yards per pass attempt at almost 10 yards a pass attempt. He leads the league in completion percentage at almost 77%. He has one interception, which went, went off of Greg Olson's hands. Obviously you, you know, it counts regardless. Uh, you know, among those four quarterbacks, he has the 19th ranked pass block pass blocking offensive line per pro football focus QBR. Patrick Mahomes does edge him out. Passer rating, Russell Wilson takes it back. I think through three weeks, it's no question who's the MVP front runner. The national sports media can say whatever they want, but if the Seahawks keep winning like they do and Russell Wilson keeps playing like he does, there's no way they can deny him. But Evan, Patrick Mahomes counted to one, two, three, four on Monday <laughs> night because he threw four <laughs> touchdowns. Like that's something special. Like that's Russell's worst game of the year. His worst game of the year is throwing four touchdowns. And in fact, he just finished doing something that I think only like four, five, six quarterbacks have ever done, which is throw five touchdowns back to back weeks. I think it might only be four quarterbacks. So, yeah, and, 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 and he threw six touchdowns last week. I mean, DK is a foot away from that being six touchdowns last week. So, um, that's not just like crazy hyperbole. That's, that's real. I mean, he, he did that. So, I mean, I was really nervous. I have to say that, that the national media was going to pick someone else for NFC offensive player league. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is a, is a Alvin Kamara. Alvin, you know, you know they yeah. lost, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I, 
I was just happy <laughs> that they made what seemed like it should have been an obvious choice. Honestly, I think he was robbed last week, the, the week before. I mean, you know, throw five touchdowns, no interceptions against the Patriots defense. I think that should be player of the week every time. But in any event, it seems like that's going pretty well. Part of the reason it's – sorry, Jeff, were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to say, Evan gave, like, the analytical reason. He couldn't have said that better. Like, the numbers speak for themselves. But really, like, if you think about what the MVP award actually is, it's not the most outstanding player because Evan would have just proved it. It's the most valuable. And – how could anyone argue based on what Seattle's defense has done statistically, which as Brian pointed out this week is one of the worst pass defenses literally in NFL history. So the fact that this team is three and O with maybe the worst defensive performance in NFL history, how could you possibly make an argument against that? That's the definition of valuable. They're three and all they're the, probably the best, they're the best possible record you could have. You know, it's, it's funny, Jeff is, um, <laughs> uh, Packers and the Seahawks are having remarkably similar seasons so far. And, and you actually, if you look at the numbers, the Packers defense is worse. Really? Hawks defense. Yes. I had to write an article this week about Aaron Rodgers being good. It sucked. <laughs> so you had to lie. Basically. I, didn't, I, didn't even tweet it out. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> That's brand protection right there. I didn't tweet it out. I'm doing some writing on the side and I got asked to do that. I was so embarrassed. It sucks. <laughs> well, let, let me say this. So, uh, you know, um, um, Alan, is it Lazard? Lazard, yeah. yeah. Said that, uh, yeah, they said that Aaron Rodgers was the best deep ball thrower. And so um, Nick Shook from NFL, um, NFL.com decided to check it out. It's not even close. It's, it's not even close. It's, it's Russell Wilson by a yard. He's, you know, eight of 11 on deep attempts, which is 72%. 319 yards, six touchdowns to zero interceptions, and a one point or 154.4 passer rating. You go to Aaron Rodgers, it's nine of 23. He throws that ball down the field constantly, right? Nine at so 39% is what it is. 377 yards. So it's they've some of them been longer, but two touchdowns to no um, interceptions and 115.8 passer rating. And so I think that. I think there was a, about a week there that the narrative is Aaron Rodgers is back. Aaron Rodgers is going to be MVP. Aaron Rodgers is who he was five years ago. And, and, you know, he's better than Russell Wilson and, and the numbers just don't support it. The fan base can think what they want, but like Evan said, it, it comes down to the numbers. So one record, I think Russell can set this year. Can he be the first quarterback to throw eight touchdowns in a game? Against which team? The Giants or the Jets? There's a lot of options, right? How about uh, the 49ers? That would be sweet. That would be sweet. I mean, the there's there's been seven seven quarterbacks that have tied the NFL record, which is seven touchdown passes in a game. The most recent is Drew Brees in 2015. Nick Foles did it in 2013. Peyton Manning did it in 2013. And before those guys, no one had done it since 1969. So. It's it really in, in modern era post merger three guys have done it, and and uh, it seems like something that that's attainable for him this year. Um, I th I think you could argue he did not play his best game last week, and there was a there was a lot of drives where they there's a number of points where they just didn't even they punted seven times in that game, right. and he still should have had six touchdowns. So 
I, I think there's still meat on the bone. I think there's more there than, than what we've seen. And, and I think it'll be interesting to, to watch this week. We'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute here. Um, can I, can I ask one question yeah. real quick? Yeah, please. Yes or no answer round the table real quick. Does Russell Wilson right now projecting for the rest of the year, break Peyton Manning's passing touchdown record this year? Jeff. Oh, yes. Dana. Hard to say it's hard to say yes to but it's hard to say no to at the same time it's 55 right i think that's what it is 55 mm-hmm. and he's at 14 in three games yeah yep he's on pace for 74 right now i think <laughs> i think I so read- absurd <laughs> like so- and we know he won't hit 74 yeah i think he could probably do it never say with never we play later <laughs> with the teams that seattle plays that stretch that we all have talked about in the middle where they were run the table with people for a while yeah it's possible brian uh i go with yes and here's here's the thing that that gives me some pause is that well it's really two things one i think russell has had a tendency to have some some uh patches and seasons where he goes a little bit quiet um and then the other thing is i don't know if you guys have noticed this but shoddy and and Russell have had some plays usually early in seasons that they kind of are able to consistently beat teams on. And we've seen it already this season. A lot of it is those, that, that two receiver route where you see max protect and Russell drops back. It's almost like a fake boot. And he just has all this time and he throws deep. He throws a lot of touchdowns off that early. And then you see defenses adjust to it mid season. And so I'm a little bit waiting for, it's like a pitcher in baseball that's gone through the first, you know, the part of the lineup at one time, or they've gone through the whole lineup one time. How do they do this through the second uh, set through the time through the lineup? How do they do the third time through the lineup? So that's part of what I want to see, not just from Russell, but from shoddy um, from skybox shoddy. Is he going to be able to sustain his play calling because he's perfect in the red zone right now. Right. Jeff, you talked about that on Sunday. Yeah. And the reason I said yes, because usually I'm skeptical of everyone I would usually say no, is that, the offensive numbers in the NFL right now are th- crazy. They're through the roof. They're like unprecedented. Everyone has theories on why. I think the no fans is a huge part of that. It's so much easier playing on the road. If you saw like 28-3 in Buffalo last week, how quick the Rams turned that around. Even last week, if it's whatever, 33, whatever it was against Dallas and you're in Seattle, like there's no way that Dak Prescott can operate like that if the 12th man is there and it's so loud and, yeah. And you saw how easy they got back in the game too. And I think like when Seattle plays some of these road games, that maybe it would be harder. No fans in there lets them operate at a much crisper pace. And it's much easier to play offense this year. So I think there might be a lot of records like Josh Allen's putting up insane numbers. I think you're going to see a lot of stuff get broken this year if this keeps Mm -hmm. up. So I think one of the things we talked about um, that's a big part of why Russell's having the success he's having is the offensive line. Um, and this is not to say that's the only reason, but we've all talked about it as a remarkable improvement in how that offensive line. I think I tweeted this out that in ESPN's pass block win rate stat, the Seahawks offensive line was like fifth in the NFL in that number. Can I, can I just say something? Yeah. The Seahawks have a good offensive line. I think they Somebody do write it down, write it down. I guess it's on film. You can't this say is, you didn't say it now. I'm this is, <laughs> this is real life. This is real life. 
You are not drinking right now. You're not on drugs right now. The Seahawks have a good <laughs> offensive line. I, I feel like hell has frozen over. Well, so let's let's take a second, guys and, and gal. And what I want to do is read for you really quickly. I'm going to read you two sets of offensive line draft choices. And I want you to tell me what the difference is between them. Okay? Where are you going here? James Carpenter, John Moffat, uh, J.R. Sweezy, uh, Michael Bowie, Justin Britt, drafted as a tackle, mind you. Uh, let's go through here. Uh, Jermaine Effetti, Riso Diambo, Joey Hunt. Ethan Posick, Justin Sr. Okay, that is one group of offensive linemen. Out of those, first of all, you know, how many of those were, are good players or have been good players? Good? Good. Have been good? Good. Maybe three? Name. Zero. Give me a name. Justin Britt. I think Justin Brute was good. At some point, he was um, good. one yep. good year. <laughs> good year. That's what I would say. He had one good year. I would give him maybe two. You guys are so harsh. Um, <laughs> two like functional years, but like good. I think he had one that first year he had. I think twenty sixteen. He was a, he was a Pro Bowl yeah. alternate one year, and I think that was yeah. a good year. Yeah. Like good for a Seahawks lineman or good for an actual one? <laughs> are we grading on a curve or is this real life? <laughs> I think that is real. I think that you could say Jr. Sweezy. Really? JR Sweezy? He was good enough to get a big contract from Tampa Bay. Okay. Okay. You and I (laughs) both know a bad team giving out a worse contract does not justify. I think he had the market. I don't think that was a crazy market for JR Sweezy at that point. (laughs) That's my my take. I'm just trying to be objective here. All right, so that was one group I read you. You missed a couple of real whips, too. Like some of the defensive linemen, they tried to switch. Yeah. Locally, and there's Jared Smith or something. I think I missed even reading them because they weren't listed. Yes. Christian Sokoli is, is up there for sure. Mark Lewinsky. Like Mark Lewinsky was somebody. And in fact, is it a wonderful one of picked, but not great with the Seahawks. Great, great linemen, but not with the Seahawks. All right. Let me read you the next set. Okay. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Jamarco Jones. Uh, Phil Haynes, Damian Lewis. Those are the draft picks. I I would also add to that Jordan Simmons. I know exactly. What's the, what, what do you, what's the pattern here, Jeff? I feel so vindicated to talk about this. (laughs) Go on. Did, did, did you freeze on us? I think he froze. He was so excited. <laughs> I know. We got to give him his moment when he comes back. <laughs> I know. Well, the show must go on. So, Dana, um, yeah. 
The difference there is because if you guys remember our chat, Rob, oh, oh, here he comes. Wait, okay. wait, you're back. You're we back. lost you, Jeff, for a long time. You said you were so excited to tell us that we were talking about this, and then you froze. Oh, and he's oh. gone. <laughs> what the hell just happened? Like, Screw you oh my God. I, don't know. I just came back and got a drink, and Jeff is freezing and disappearing. And it's oh boy, Jeff doing Jeff things, but Canadian internet, <laughs> it's so true. Um. <laughs> So here, he's joining right back right now. I'm going to give him okay, a chance because he was so He passionate. was so excited. Yeah. yeah. We got him back. Okay, All right, Jeff. Okay. So the difference you named is the first set was players that Tom Cable drafted. He was the key guy. We've spent so much time in this show talking about Tom Cable. But as much as we hated his coaching, the worst part of Tom Cable by far and the worst part of John Schneider and Pete Carroll was they gave him full personnel control over offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. And there was a trend of guys that he thought he could mold into NFL players. He had a certain type. He loved the athletes that can move in space. And he like I used to drive guys like Jeff Schwartz, some of the offensive line guys crazy because he thought he could almost like create offensive line out of thin air. Mike Solari has had a totally different approach. He wants big, huge offensive linemen. Guys like Jordan Simmons is one of the first guys he signed off like Oakland's practice squad and Upati he brought in and they're all kind of the same prototype where he wants these big, like kind of mauling guys. And oh. All right. I, I'm going to jump in here. So, 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 the other thing I'll throw out is not just the, by the way, he's going to probably start like talking really fast at any moment now when his internet catches up, but it's, it's not just draft picks, Brandon shell. I'm taking a big L on that one. I I've, was really expecting him to be Jermaine Effetti with, with less. Brandon penalty. shell was at it. He's kind of in that same mold. Amy Lewis. Jeff, you want to, uh, Brian, I would just kick Jeff and make him. Oh yeah, back. I'm totally kicking it. Oh my god, that was hilarious! But that, that was, was that was funny timing. timing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so, um, Mikey Potty is a guy who signed. Um, really, what this comes down to is there have been really few misses. Even DJ Fluker was a solid addition for the price they paid and for what they got out of him. And so I think you've got a guy um, in Mike Solari who is working in conjunction with the front office in a really encouraging way. I think the draft picks is the most encouraging because, uh, and the undrafted free agents, they are basically batting a thousand on offensive linemen over the last three years. And they're not always in high draft picks. Damian Lewis was, but Jamarco Jones wasn't necessarily. So anyway, I, I just think that that's of note. And, um, did I think you, we're, we're seeing the, the, the benefits of it. Did you see uh, Jamarco Jones's grade on Sunday? I did. He was playing guard. I, I just, I just thought it was interesting that you didn't mention it. Did you see Quentin Jefferson's grade on Sunday? <laughs> you want to talk about Quentin Jefferson? <laughs> okay. Huh? Huh? Okay. Oh How many goodness. pressures does Quentin Jefferson has? <laughs> have? He probably has more pressures than the entire Seahawks defensive line combined. Combined. LJ Collier. LJ Collier is grading better than Quentin Jefferson. So just relax. LJ Collier was a first round pick. He better be grading better. Oh, don't pull that. (laughs) No, we're switching. We're switching around now. Dana, 
But you see it. He's changing the goalposts. Was Quinton yeah, Je- was letting Quinton Jefferson walk this offseason a good or bad move? And okay, Mr. Trump, hold on. So, so, <laughs> so turn the mic off. He, Evan is the one oh my gosh. who picked two pressures as the projection for LJ Collier this year. He's already yes, got he four on the year. Actually, I think he might even have five. I think I think he's four or five. So, um. LJ Collier is actually, he's not having a great year, but he's stepping forward. And by the way, that's why you don't play pay middling players like Quentin Jefferson. You let young players that can replicate their performance for a fraction of the price. So no, you don't pay Quentin Jefferson. What you do do is you, you get some other pass rushers for sure that might have better, better results. So, all right, <laughs> let's, let's move it along. Uh, Evan, you got me all worked up. I appreciate it. So, um, as always, <laughs> was anyone ever to make able to make my point or did it get ruined? Oh yeah. We, I knew you were going Jeff. I, Gosh, I yeah. uh, in fact, you and I were making the same points at like, you know, geographically exactly. different times. It was, it was a wonderful, I just, swimming you know, what? I just want to finish this conversation with one little note. <laughs> Since we've been using pro football focus for so many different measures and references, Quentin Jefferson is the 16th ranked defensive tackle in terms of pass rush this year. Yeah, 16th, 16th, Brian. Where, where do you think Reed is? Oh, Reed is probably like 2,000. Okay, Evan. Evan, you need to let this go. Quentin no, Jefferson. I will not. I go. will not. He doesn't Jared do Reed had a good week Sorry. three. He had a good week three, Jared Wait, wait, who did. had a good week three? Jared Reed did. Yes, but Quentin Jefferson, what was the thing I said about Quentin Jefferson? And Jeff said, he has some flash games, and then he disappears and has very mediocre games. Guess what? Same with Jared Reed. He had a flash game the first week of the season. Quentin Jefferson has been rated like 50 or below by Pro Football Focus the last two weeks. So just understand, he had four pressures the first week. He's had no more than one pressure since then each week. So your boy is exactly who Jeff and I thought he was. Is Jared Reed like slipping you checks? Is he slipping you checks or something? Oh my God, is that okay? (laughs) Wait, who? Jaron Reed? I didn't. I didn't bring up Jaron Reed. I'm talking clearly only about L.J. Collier. And I'm just Quentin. saying you're a longtime Jaron Reed defender. Do you? Do you? Is he slipping you checks? Is he? Is he Reed buying is your beers? Exactly what he he's better be at that contract. Thirteen million. You might as well. Thank you, Jeff. Thirteen Thank million you. guaranteed over two years is not a lot of money for a defensive tackle that is in the top three in run defenders for his position and and has shown he he's a, I think he's one of the top in pressures for the Seahawks this year. All right. We're moving had a on. strip sack last game. He doesn't want to oh, the Seahawks <laughs> defensive line is so impressive because leading that group is an amazing accomplishment. Amazing. Well, better, there's so the much talent. Would you like him to be last? There, there's so much talent. There's so much. He's got more, pressure than Jared, he's got more pressures than Quentin Jefferson. <sighs> really? God help me. We were talking about the offensive line. Does anyone remember that? 
This is a hot topic. Jared Reed and Quentin <laughs> Jefferson is like the Pete Carroll conversation. It just gets uh-uh. us going. And never <laughs> the, the offensive line is interesting because last year when things went south with the offensive line, everyone was like, well, did we overrate Mike Solari, all this stuff? And I don't think people understand how you can't just magically coach players. Like right. I know some people think that, but like the Seahawks last year had Jermaine Fetty, Joey Hunt, and DJ Fluker, who had a pretty terrible season. And like you can put the greatest offensive line coach in the world. I don't think you can overcome those three guys. And they've upgraded significantly at three spots. So I don't know if it's Solari or the players are just better, but they had they had bad players on their offensive line last year. And when a guy like Fluker was huge the year before, that's why they were so bad. 100%. 100%. And yeah, I, I think I think it's exciting to see. I am the, I'm going to hold out. I still think BJ Finney is going to be the, a, a part of this lineup. And I think that Ethan Posick, I think it's fine. I'm not bowled over. Everyone's like talking wonderfully about Ethan Posick. I think he's doing exactly what he should, but he is a average center. He's not special or above average. He's on the last year of his deal. I want to see BJ Finney get snaps, you know, in the next few weeks. And I'd like to see him eventually overtake that. I think the the line can get even better once Finney gets comfortable in the offense. Sorry, Evan, were you going to rant about something else? No, I, I just, there was some really funny analogy in our, in our YouTube comment thread. Justin Carmada was like over the Quinton Jefferson and Jeff, Jan Reed debate. He was like, it's like arguing over the color of your color of your house as it's burning down in a fire. <laughs> which is which is not false. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I will just say, you know what, um, Alton Alton Robinson. Mm. I really liked the way he played this past week. He gave me hope. Um, he's a guy that not only not only had a sack in a critical moment in a game, um, had two tackles for losses. Uh, he's now one behind Jamal Adams in terms of ta- leading the, the team in tackles for loss after one game. Uh, I don't know why this guy wasn't active the first two weeks. I'm excited that he's going to be active the rest of the way. And it gives me a little bit of hope if he can play, maybe Daryl Taylor, maybe that's a, that's a guy that we can wait on that might end up being some help. Who knows? It seems like that's a, a stretch, but if Alton Robinson, a fifth round pick looks like this and Daryl Taylor was the tops on the Seahawks list from a defensive pass rush perspective on their, their draft board, maybe, you know, maybe that's something we can look forward to. All right, let's turn our attention to the dolphins. All right, folks, we got a game this week against uh, the one and two Miami dolphins. And speaking of offensive lines, can I tell you how bad this dolphins offensive line is? Tell me. Give me life. (laughs) They are, I think, based on what I've seen from PFF, the worst offensive line in all of football. Would you like to hear the grades of each starting offensive lineman for these Dolphins? Give me life. Preach it. Okay. So you've got Austin Jackson at one tackle. And remember, 60 is for a backup. Okay. That's He's his grade 48.4. Solomon Kindley, a guard, his grade 47.4. Ted Karras, the center, his grade 57.7. Jesse Davis, the other tackle, his grade 55.6. 
And the other guard, Eric Flowers, 54.3. That's their whole starting offensive line. That's atrocious. So hey, can I throw one thing in there though? Yes. We have to remember who they've played. They played the Patriots, they played Buffalo and Jacksonville. But those defenses are nothing to shake a stick at. Not that I'm trying to give them an excuse because they're terrible grades, but we also have to kind of remember who they're playing against. You know that that might make sense, Dana, but like from a from a pass rush perspective, uh the Patriots. Patriots are not it's more their secondary, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. They're not super high. Um, I'm trying to find real quick where they're ranked, but uh well they're They're just solid defense. They're eighth, but it's it's hard to say. Um the Bills are fifth, so that's a good point. Um, and Jacksonville's 23rd. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, those are horrible, horrible grades. It makes me think that this is a week that that the blitzes could be effective. Well, maybe. I guess my question to you guys is like, what, what does a successful pass rush look like on Sunday against the Dolphins? Knowing how they, how bad they are in terms of offensive line play, both in run blocking and in pass protection, what does success look like? Brian, I think, yeah, Brian, go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, you're gonna. I think it. it's just constantly making Ryan Fitzpatrick uncomfortable and disrupting mm-hmm. his timing because. They haven't really been able to do that with Cam. They haven't really been able to do that with Dak. They got the Dak a little bit, but this is a really young offensive line group. Fitzpatrick can move a bit for considering his age. It's pretty impressive. And I just think they have to disrupt timing a little bit because without Jamal's probably not going to play this week. They're going to Dunbar's probably not going to play this week. So they're going to rely on the same secondary guys. So I think they have to more so than sacks or anything. I think it's more pressures and disrupting just the flow of what they do because we looked Austin Jackson, the guy we studied a lot going into the draft because offensive tackle is a huge need for Seattle. The thing on him was very raw player. He's 20 years old, didn't have a lot of college experience. Solomon Kinley, the rookie. Eric Flowers is a first round bust who they paid too much money. Like Ted Karras was a backup. Mm-hmm. They should be able to get to him, but we did this last year. We did this last year, right? With Cleveland's line and the Rams line. And we're like, okay. We're going to dominate them. And then it was very sad results. So I'm scared to get excited. I think that's fair. And my answer to you, Evan, is related to Jeff's. I want to see disruption and I want the quarterback moving like off of the spot. I think that for me, it's not always about sacks. I mean, obviously, that's what I love the most in, in football, really. I just love sacks. But um, that but like- and and turnovers, like I think that when I see an effective pass rush, it doesn't even have to get home, but it forces a, a throw, a quick throw. Like Benson Mayoa didn't sack Dak Prescott, but he sure. scrambled around and chucked a ball mm-hmm. that he shouldn't have thrown. And that was a pass rush driven turnover right there. Um, and so that's what I want to see. So you and I are in complete agreement on the whole pass rush sort of measure, but like, let's just play it in a vacuum for a second. How many sacks do you need to see on Sunday where you're like very confident coming out of Sunday? Oh, there's nothing we could see on Sunday where I'd be like, all right, the pass rush is in. Got it. And that's a fine answer. I take that back. Mm -hmm. The only thing that would make me feel that way is be if Alton Robinson, someone who showed me something this past week builds on that and is looking like they can't stop him as an individual. Sure. And, or someone like, you know, Jaron Reed or LJ Collier, someone who's showing some signs of coming out. Jaren, like both of them had some 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 flashes. 
those would give me some more confidence, but none of it, I would say, all right, we're good on pass rush. That's sure. Sure. Dana. Yeah. I don't know that there's, uh, you know, I think, I think fans would want to see multiple sacks. If I'm just talking about the general fan base, I think that, you know, they want to see two or three, they want to see him come down. I mean, we're not going to get, you know, the six sack game or the nine sack game or whatever, but I think multiple sacks would be, would be good. But I think too, as important as sacks are, like Brian says, he loves sacks. I love interceptions. And so I think that that is to your guys's point also as important is that just disrupting enough. I don't think Fitzpatrick gets quite enough credit for what he can do. I mean, yes, he's older and we'd like to make fun of him and his goofy Hawaiian shirts and his weird beard. But, you know, I think that all in all, he's a pretty solid quarterback um, that can make plays. I, you know, Lisa, who is our Miami writer for our turf, um, she and I had a conversation just about this yesterday. We did a quick little podcast and she said, um, you know, the thing of it is, is Ryan Fitzpatrick has those games where he can get up and he can, he can meet the challenge. Um, so stopping that from happening in this game, I think because of what we've seen from the other quarterbacks who, I mean, understandably would be ranked higher than Ryan Fitzpatrick that the Seahawks have already seen with Dak and, and Cam and Ryan. I think that, um, I think that not letting him have that game and just disrupting him would, would be, that would be enough for me. We know it's not going to fix anything. Would you be surprised mm -hmm. if the Dolphins scored 30 plus points on us on Sunday? No, no. I feel sick. I think if you look at what they've done, I, I think the answer to that is no. I think that we know that they can, they can do that. So what you're telling, what you're all telling me is it's very possible, maybe even likely that Sunday is another shootout, just like the first three weeks. Well, I think you got to get into some other pieces there. Evan. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that for a second. So Quentin Dunbar injury report did not practice. It sounds iffy. Lano Hill similarly did not practice iffy. So you're looking at, they said Trey flowers. It looks like he will be your starter again. This is my worst nightmare. <laughs> I, I told you guys I'm done with that kid after what we saw this weekend. Like it's actually hard to watch at this point. It is. And, and so what you've got for the dolphins, if you talk about Fitzpatrick fine, but what the dolphins have is, um, they've got some talent at receiver. I mean, Devonte Parker is no slouch and I think they're going to look at everything they can do to get Devonte Parker matched up with Trey flowers. And honestly, they probably don't even have to worry about that. They can put them wherever they want because none of neither of our outside corners have, have shown the ability to shut anyone down. And yeah, I think they can do that. Um, I think you got, I don't know how to pronounce his name. His name is, I think Mike Gusecki. Um, yeah. Um, he's their tight end, strong player. Um, you don't have your starting safety. Um, this could be Ryan Neal getting another start. It could be, we just signed Demarius Randall to the practice squad. I can't imagine that they would ask him to play one week after signing him. Um, and, it, and maybe he's a backup, but um, yeah, Evan, I mean, with those two changes and with probably Cody Barton starting at linebacker, you got three backups in there, um, all of which could be targeted in the past game. Miles Gaskin will probably be used out of the backfield, former Husky that folks know. So um, I don't think this defense has given us any reason to think that they can hold 
any offense with a competent quarterback down. Yeah, well, I think it's important that and important to mention that uh, what's his face? Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard. It's a <laughs> no, really, no one knew that. It's a really uh, important piece of analysis for Sunday's game. I just had to mention that. So you guys, I love, I know how much you guys love your numbers. And so when you're looking at the Dolphins, the Dolphins pass rush, I don't, I don't think the Dolphins defense is anything to be afraid. Their secondary is a mess. And I so I don't worse. think, yeah. And so that's a disaster. So then the question is, who do you trust more to score more points? You're going to trust Russell Wilson to score. And more. not only that, Dana, their injury report on the secondary is rough. Yeah, it's a mess. Byron yeah. Jones right now is following a couple of Dolphins beat writers this week does not look like he's going to play Sunday. Mm-hmm. He did not practice today. And the general sense is that he's not going to play Sunday. Yeah, he was he their big, yeah. he was their big acquisition too this mm-hmm. off season. Like yeah. he came from the Cowboys and they paid him like 16.5 million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that's, and that's exactly what Lisa said. I, I told you guys in chat, she's like, you know, Russell Wilson, the way he's been playing is going to shred the secondary because that he, he won't play. She really didn't believe he would play either. And so, um, and so then it comes down to trust. And, and I know that we've had some Seahawks have had some weird games down in Miami. You know what I mean? Like they, they just had some odd turnouts. And I know that when we're doing our prediction, a couple naysayers were like, Oh, this is it. This is going to be the game that they'll lose. Um, Excuse but- me. The perfect three and O schedule predictor <laughs> through three weeks. You're only Evan Hill. <laughs> true. Unfortunately pred- you deserve- predicted you- a loss. You did, <laughs> but you're going to be wrong. And then you're going to be stuck with the I rest ho- of us. I hope so. I, I, I pray to God you're right. Yeah. So I think that, I, I think that if you have to look at it that way, if you look at the quarterbacks, if you look at their weapons, you know, then you have to, you have to figure that, that Seattle definitely has the edge there. Yeah. The dolphins for what it's worth. Um, 31st ranked coverage grade overall and pff here's your eight touchdowns yeah i mean we said oh my god the cowboys secondary looks awful they're ranked three spots above them (laughs) like uh you know the falcons who are like oh they were awful the falcons coverage grade is eighth (laughs) in the nfl uh the patriots cover grade is ninth the Seahawks scored 38 and 35 points against those two teams. So I'll, I'll tell you what, if the Seahawks don't score 40 against this Dolphins team, screw what the, whether the defense can slow Miami or not. The offense will not have done its job. The offense, that's the, that's the standard that's got to be set here. They should be scoring 40 points against this defense. And the thing I'll say about our defense against their offense is, Evan, that's why I started with their offensive line. Mm-hmm. This is an awful, awful offensive line, and there's a chance. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, he is Jekyll and Hyde. He is Fitz Magic, and he is Fitz yeah. Tragic. He's both, and yeah. and he is. If, if you can get it into him, he will throw picks. And and crazy enough, folks, you know which team is second in the NFL in interceptions? It's your very own Seattle Seahawks. That's Four crazy. Picks. I, I feel sick this every time. We have four. Wait, we have four picks. We have four picks. Wait, okay. So, hold up. Shaq Griffin, Ryan Neal, Oh, Quinton Debar did have one. Who was the fourth? Um, did Quandre have one in the end of the Atlantic yeah. game? Yes, yes. in the end zone. 
Yeah. Him and Jamal were in the same spot. Yeah. Yep. yep. So I only spit facts, Evan. I, none of your like baseless, <laughs> random, you know, hot takes. So that, you can trust me. <laughs> um. So all right. We've Let's gone this long and I haven't talked about one thing on defense, though. Okay, go ahead. What is it? Oh, well, I think, Brian, you should tee it off. I think it's something we've you've talked a lot about. Evans wanted to speak on this. I have no idea what you're talking about right no, now. Oh, go actually. for it. You got me interested. We've gone a whole hour, and we have not said the name Ken Norton Jr. yet. Oh! Uh, so All here's right. the thing. Here's the thing. I'm going to start this. I'm going to start this by saying – we, we talk a lot about the players on this show and what they're doing and they're not doing. Um, I think that there's a case to be made that Shaquille Griffin didn't all of a sudden become a bad cornerback, but maybe he's being used differently and being put in tough situations because of how the defensive coordinator is calling the defense and the scheme that he is asking them to play. I think you could say the same thing. He didn't use Bobby Wagner well last year and Bobby Wagner was Wagner's grades were going down and that could be part of it. So at what point is Ken Norton standing in the way of this team? And I'll ask it even more provocatively. At what point do we start talking about Ken Norton the way we talked about Tom Cable? Evan? The defense is underperforming. I mean, that's obvious. But like this secondary should not be as bad as they are. One of the things that we talked about this week that I that I've just been thinking about in my brain constantly was how they've been using Jamal Adams. They have over tipped their blitzing hand with him. It seems like he's rushing the passer almost every play. And with the current state of our cornerbacks, Shaquille Griffin playing like freaking trash, Quentin Dunbar, who's injured but has played decent, and Trey Flower, who is a nightmare inside of a dumpster fire inside of a train wreck. Okay. We need to have Jamal Adams in coverage. We need our safeties to be able to back up our cornerbacks. And right now they are, I feel like they are asking Jamal Adams to do the job of our, to do the jobs of our defensive line, like our pass rushers. Like there's just, I I think when you look at this defense as a whole, they should not be as bad as they are. There is talent on this defense. Mm -hmm. They should not be a bottom five unit. I don't care how bad the defensive line is they can be ranked 32nd in the league the linebackers are really good kj Wright is really good bobby wagner is really good cody barton is serviceable jordan brooks is decent the secondary has talent the safeties are elite the corners should be better this is honestly unacceptable it's if this isn't fixed mark my words this will be the end of the seahawks season like this will end them in the playoffs like no. as good um, as good. No, I stand wrong. by this as wrong. good as the offense is this defense. If they continue to play like they are, will end this scene. Dana. Yes. You're a voice of reason in this. <laughs> and, and I agree with a lot of what Evan said, which is, it's an odd feeling, but, but it's true. Um, I'm often right. Funny, <laughs> funny, but how do you how do you figure this out? I mean, we even talked about they even talked about in the broadcast last week. It's not just coverage, and it's not just that they're blitzing and and putting the the secondary potentially in tougher positions. 
talked about the double legal front that they're playing um, on the defensive line with three guys move middle. Nathan's talked about this the last few weeks as a three, four, and that actually there's been, it affects your pass rush and how you're able to rush the passer and how the defensive linemen are expected to get after the quarterback. Um, we heard last year, Jadavian Clowney and other folks talk about how they were being asked to do things that kept them from being able to just pass rush the way that they looked, they were looking to do. So if not the worst defense from a passing yards allowed in the history of the NFL through three games, if that's not it, what's the point at which you say, you know what, Ken Norton's actually not doing his job. Well, let's take this back just a little bit. So when Ken Norton was hired, there was a very large number of people who were not thrilled with that hire. Um, he had been, I, I know, <laughs> he had um, been fired from his previous job. He, for similar problems. Um, and then there was a group of people that were thrilled, Bobby Wagner being one of them. We have to remember how excited these players were to get him back. I, I think now we are to the point where maybe last year, yes, they had Jadavian Clowney. Yes, they had some pieces of talent, obviously the linebackers, but it, this is a more talented group. So last year I could see where maybe they were like, no, maybe he just didn't have the, you know, the people and the pieces that he needed to do well. You can't say that this year. And yet the problems are continuing to follow. So I think that um, I, I, I don't see Pete Carroll firing him this year. I, I can't imagine that. Um, maybe an off-season change. But as long as Russell keeps winning these games, they'll just try to make it better, if that, if that makes any sense. I, I don't see them doing that shuffle until the offseason, and then it would have to be because of horrific numbers. But then you have to go in and say, who? You know, we were all like, oh, Dan Quinn gets fired, bring him back, right? Like, we'd all be thrilled about that. But, but we don't know that that's going to happen. And so you have to kind of look at the scheme and, and think about what's going wrong, why Pete isn't stepping in and fixing it, because Pete Carroll's a defensive coach. And so what is – and it always said, oh, you know, it, the defense is Pete Carroll's defense. Well, it's not working. Whatever it is, it's not working. And I think until the players start complaining or the numbers continue to be historically bad, we're going to – Ken Norton will stay right where he is. Yeah, Jeff, you brought this up. Anything you want to say on this topic before we, uh, we move on? Yeah, I think just Pete, if he's being objective and he's doing a full evaluation, I know, Brian, you talk, they usually do that at the bye week. I think they need to take a long, hard look on Ken Norton. I don't know if they will, but the knock on him coming out of Oakland when he was the coordinator and really why Pete never promoted him in the first place was Norton is supposed to be a very good position coach and very good at like motivating players. Mm -hmm. But it looks like tactically and just from like a game planning and it is Pete's defense and everyone says it's his baby, but Pete really gives the coordinator a lot of run. So like when Chris Richard was here, he kind of put his different look on it and Quinn had a different look on it that Gus Bradley. And yeah, it is Pete's defense, but he seems to give the coordinator a lot of say. So tactically, the thing that bothered me and Evan touched on this is like Jamal's not going to play this week, but I, I just, the way he was used in week one versus say week three, like mm -hmm. they would line him up exactly where he was going to blitz. It was so obvious and they would just pick him up and there was no creativity to it. It left the defense vulnerable and he would just like line up on a guard and run straight. And it almost seems that they're trying to prove Greg Williams wrong about that board comment 
over and over that they've kind of lost who they are on defense. And I think if they're going to get better, and like Evan said, I don't know if it's going to cost them, but I think they really need either Pete to step in or take on coaches take on more of a role in one side of the ball a lot. Because I don't think tactically they're doing anything that really stands out. And I don't know if that's Norton's strength. And I don't know if you can ever teach that. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good points, Jeff. And I don't think they're going to make a change during the season. I think it's highly unlikely they would do that, especially with a team that's winning. I do think it's a really great call out about the bye week and that is a time they self scout. And that might be a chance for them to look and say, Hey, maybe we're doing things wrong. And I'm hoping that these first three games are kind of like preseason. They're getting a feel for how people are adjusting. I kind of said that after last week, you know, and I'm hoping that they would just go into this, this game. And honestly, I thought the defense was playing better the first half and even into the second. And then it just blew up. I mean, and really when I went back and looked at it, it was really two drives. You could say maybe three drives in the second half, but Dallas only scored, I think like 14 points in the second half. It wasn't like, maybe it was 15. I can't remember what it was, but, but, uh, it's not like they put up a 30 point half or anything like that. It just, it felt like the defense had lost their starch. Um, so I, I think we'll have to see we're, we're, we're a little bit late on time. So I want to move on. If we can take a few patron questions. Um, if you haven't already, honestly, join up at patreoncom slash Hawk blogger. Uh, people are joining up left and right. I think we've got 50 new people already in the last few weeks. Uh, the Slack channel is hopping. A lot of great information getting shared there with other 154 Seahawks fans. people, 154 fans. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And also we've got a special running right now. Um, you can join uh, instead of just doing it month to month, you can join on an annual basis and you get 16% off. So it, it's a huge savings. Um, again, we, we put this money to charity, obviously, and, and reinvest in the show where we can to give you a better product. We're, gonna, we're trying to get Canada better internet. That's been a long-term investment. It's going to take a while, but we'll get there. I'm moving this week, so we'll see. We'll see. How <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, join over at patreon.com slash hawkbugger. And one of the benefits is uh, we ask folks for their questions over there in the Slack channel. And uh, Evan, why don't you rapid fire a few of those and we'll take one, one per person um, and uh, go from there. First of all, we've got a ton. So thank you to everyone who submitted questions. But the first one is actually a really good question. Udit asked this and Brian, I'm actually going to send this one to you. Okay. Let's assume that we bench all the injured players from week three. So that's Jordan Brooks, um, Chris Carson, Damian Lewis, and Jamal Adams. Who is a depth or young player that you want to see have a strong performance in week four? Shaquem Griffin. Tell me more. I, it, it is like, this is my rant. I, I am I am all in on Shaquem Griffin at strong side linebacker instead filling in for Jordan Brooks instead of Cody Barton. It's not what's going to happen. <clears throat> Pete has said that Shaquem Griffin, he's already said Shaquem Griffin's going to play this week. So we know we'll be on the roster. And I saw, I saw a guy that looked like he had turned the corner and knew how to make the plays that he needed to make. I want that speed on the field. I think the guy's a playmaker and I think he adds more to the team than Cody Barton does. I just, I think Cody Barton to me is a, is a Mike linebacker. He's a middle linebacker. Maybe in the future he could take over that role or be a backup middle linebacker. He's not a starting outside linebacker for me. So um, I won't get my wish most likely, but I'm hoping 
that Shaquem Griffin gets a few snaps in that game and just forces the coach's hands because it's like, oh, my God, we can't take him off the field. He's just a difference maker. That's my guy. Good answer. Uh, I'm going to go with Troy Fagan's question. So this is a two-part question. I'll answer the second part, and then, Jeff, you'll answer the first part. Seeing as our run defense is stout, so I think they're like top three in the NFL. They might even be ranked number one in the NFL. Should we not sign snacks and pursue an edge rusher and or more help for the secondary? Second part of the question is, what's the cap situation for potentially signing free agents? Seattle currently sits at about four to $5 million in true cap space. So that's what they're working with. They could always touch players, restructure players. Touch players sounds really inappropriate. What I meant is they can restructure the contracts of players to open up more cap space. <laughs> um, so that's the answer to the second part of the question. Jeff, what about the first? Um. Yeah, so I, 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 the Seahawks have a great run defense grade. I, I believe we were told by Brian it was number one in the league. But I still believe that I would sign Snacks Harrison for a couple of reasons. One, Jaron Reed's playing a ton of snaps. He's on the injured list uh, back-to-back weeks. He's playing. He was playing like 90% of snaps a couple of weeks. And I think kind of the way the game scripts have gone in all three games, there hasn't really been a lot of running opportunities. So I think those numbers might be a little misleading. And when you play teams like the Rams, who are, I know the Seahawks are the top and pass happy scripts in neutral situations, the Rams are last. So you need good run defense in those games. You need run defense against Kyle Shanahan's teams, Cliff's teams. So I think if you can ease, ease the, like the workload on Jaron Reed and bring in a guy who's been proven, you don't have to play a ton of snaps on him. And with him and Brian Monet was actually a guy I was really hard on, played really, really well. I think you can have like a, a top four group in Puna who's been really, really solid. You can have a real strength on defense because right now, if you look at their other areas of the team, they really don't have that strength. So I'm always on building on positions of strength. I, I think the guy who would lose a spot is Anthony Rush. I believe that's his name. And so if you can have a really dominant defensive tackle group, I'm very okay with that. And it looks like he was initially supposed to come in this week. That was the plan. But because of COVID and what happened with the Titans, I believe everything's been pushed back a little bit. So his visit's not till next week. And again, Minnesota would be a great game to have him for with Dalvin Cook and get him ready for the bye for those division games. So I'm very on board with it. I know some people would rather spend on edge rushers or corners. I don't know who you're finding on the street at this point as an edge rusher or corner that makes a difference. So Snacks is the only reason he's out there. So he chose to be, I don't know if Clay Matthews or, whoever you guys come up with a corner is going to help them like snacks can. Good answer. Uh, Dana, the last question is to you as a long time offense lover and, you know, scoring points, you just love to watch that happen. Um, Where do you envision? Okay. So first of all, this is coming from user respect Russell Wilson's hair drip, (laughs) 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 which is amazing. (laughs) How (laughs) successful, <laughs> How successful do you think the passing game will be on Sunday with warm temperatures, humidity, wind, rain, and potential thunderstorms? <laughs> I think it's true. I mean, they're just going to throw it on, throw a hurricane in there too. I mean, you might as well, right? At this point, <laughs> just for the fun of it. You know, um, I think that there's a couple of factors here. Obviously, I think it is supposed to rain. That is in the weather forecast, if I remember correctly. It's supposed to rain. They do have fans. Not, I think they have, they're up to like 16 or 17,000 fans, so that'll change things up just a little bit. Not a lot, but some. But I, I do think that they will still have success. Can I jump in real quick just before you answer the rest of the question? I'll give you the official weather report. Oh, well, Sunday is 86 degrees. 
raining, 20 miles an hour wind, 80% humidity. That's the, that's the report. That, that's it. No hurricane. No, no hurricane. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, here's the thing. It'll be interesting to see how the passing game goes. I, I think that Russell still is a decent passer in the rain. The wind could be a factor, but much to the, everyone else in this group's dismay, they might actually have to run that ball for a while. I think that that then we might not, you said, I know, Evan, I'm so sorry. I just ruined your whole day. But here's the thing, you know, you said, oh, Brian, you said you'd be sad if they didn't score 40 points in this game. Well, it, it might not get there due to weather, but I still think that we are still going to see a lot of long balls. I think we're going to see a lot of passing. We're going to see a lot of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Um, so I, I guess I think that it will have to evolve and we might see a little more run happy, run pass, run happy over pass happy. But I do think that that will still, they'll still score quite a few points. I'm sorry, Evan. That's good. That's, That's all good. I got for Patreon. Thank you, Evan. So let's, let's wrap with predictions. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm choked up by this, but uh, I'm going to start on the predictions and, and we'll go. So you guys give you a little bit of time to think. I had said that they should score 40 points. I hadn't looked at the weather report. That to me is significant. We know rainy Russell is different. Russell. Um, this will be a good okay. test. If it, if it is that the case, this is not cold Northwest rain. This is going to be mid eighties, humid, muggy rain. Um, Honestly, that can lead to some fumbles and slip into the ball. Like it doesn't come off your hand quite right. So I'm going to go with 31-16 Seahawks. Uh, I will just add that Miami is has not been a particularly friendly place for the Seahawks to travel. And, and you know, for folks remember in 2012, that was – I predicted the Seahawks win the Super Bowl that, that year preseason. I was – I was early on them relative to what a lot of people were. And uh, that game broke me. They lost to Miami that year. And I was like, okay, they're just not the team I thought they were. I was just totally wrong. And then next week was Chicago. And we all know what happened after that. So, um, but in any event, it's been a house of horrors for them. So uh, I think it's a tough place for them to play. I think they win either way. Um, I think it's 31-16 is what I've got. I think there's too many advantages for them not to win. Evan, where are you? Yeah, it's similar to your score prediction. I think 34-17. I, I do think Seattle pulls away in this one. I I could see the Dolphins' offense potentially scoring more, but maybe this is a rebound game for this defense. Maybe this is a get-right game for this defense. Ryan Fitzpatrick, like you said earlier in the show, is – sort of a, or Dana may, may have said it is a hit or miss type of player. Either he's fits magic or fits tragic. Um, I think this is a rebound game for the offense. I think the pass rush gets home, the offensive line of the Dolphins struggles. And uh, this is their first comfortable win of the season. Okay. Jeff. I would love that. I, I don't want to feel like the way I felt in the fourth quarter, the last two games where I was ready to turn the game off and just check the score. Cause I couldn't take it anymore, but I'm still, I'm still with it with Jamal out and some of the injuries. I'm not going to predict a blowout. I'm going to say it's one of those games again, that's closer than it needs to be, but the Seahawks do win. I'm going to go 30 to 24, the annoying six points where they have a chance to score at the end and they throw an interception again. So I'm going to say 30 to 24 for Seattle. Dana, I, I don't know if I can take another game like that. I mean, <laughs> I'm getting too old for this shit. I, <laughs> I literally was 
I was watching the 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 last game, the fourth quarter, kneeling with my arms <laughs> resting on the coffee table. I just and that's the second game in a row. The cam play at the end. I mean, oh, I can't handle it. So, so please tell me that you've got us winning comfortably. What's what's your prediction? Uh, I do. Well, let me tell you this. I, I do something that when the end of a game is very stressful, like the last few have, I have a hard time sitting and watching it. So I have a back hall and I literally pace up and down the back hall and my husband yells the good and the bad. Place. Dana, <laughs> I, I hate to say this, but you and I are the same person. Oh no! I just want no. to be very clear about that. Uh, we agree on everything. I am the exact same way. When I am stressed and I have anxiety and I am pressured, I am pacing yeah. and thinking. Yeah. So as always, we are the same. Okay. I, I don't know if I agree with that, but thank you. I think that that's fine. Um, I think it's going to be 34-24. I think that we are, it's going to be a 10-point game. I think that it, it, it won't be the stressful fourth quarter. I think we'll have a good touchdown lead on them. And then I think we get an extra little field goal. I think the field goals might be a little more heavy in this game just because of the weather, but so we'll see. But I think I, I, I'm giving us 10 points on this one. Still over 30 points. I think that that's important. <laughs> All right. So everyone's predicting a Seahawks win. It would be, I believe, the first 4-0 and start in Seahawks history if that were to happen. So, uh, and, and then you got coming home to Minnesota after that for what has been confirmed to be a Sunday night football game. They did not flex it out of that, even though Minnesota struggled. So, uh, again, if you haven't already join up at patreon.com slash Hawk blogger, we are looking forward to seeing you join the community, um, as well. Click subscribe takes two seconds. Uh, click the little bell to get notified. And by the way, happy international podcast day. I mean, if you're not subscribed to us on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Play, grab it there. Uh, great for your jogs. Great for road trips. Um, we're trying to limit Evan, Evan swearing a little bit so that you can listen with your family. Uh, we've gotten a few questions about that. Evan's doing his best. Uh, I even let one out there just to, uh, in the end there. So, um, But subscribe. We will see you. We'll have a great season ahead. Uh, enjoy the week. We will, I will be back Friday to talk with softy. We'll do our, our pod and then we'll have the post game show Sunday. And I will just say, I know we teased it in the first week that we were going to have some guests. We're still working on some of these cool folks that might be joining. I can't tease it until we actually get them locked in. But if you're not subscribed and you're not getting notified, you will not know. So please do it now. You'll appreciate it. You'll be happy you did. And tell somebody else about the pod. Um, we also, we dropped in the chat earlier on, um, the actual link to get real hot talk gear. If you want a shirt, a sweatshirt, a coffee mug, uh, you know, a comforter, uh, a mouse pad, all of it's there. So, um, go ahead and grab some real hot talk gear again, even proceeds there go to charity. So love you all been great. Um, have a good night and, uh, go Hawks. <laughs>